Hi, thanks for joining us again. We're going to the book of Numbers. We are continuing in our series in the Wilderness Wanderings, and we're going to be in Numbers chapter 8 this morning. Uh, a few years ago, Time Magazine ran an article, uh, just a short one, about a couple who received a package in the Detroit area, and the post office had given them a call and said, hey, can you uh, come on over and pick up this pack- package? It's a little heavier than normal, and they wanted them to go out and pick that package up. So what they did was the, the wife, her name was uh, Michelle, she went over to pick up this, this package, and it was about two foot, two foot long and about 40 pounds in weight. And she picked it up, and she looked at the package, and it had the same last name as her and her husband. It had the last name Acorn on it, but she didn't recognize the name. So she put it in her car, and she began to drive home. And as she was driving home, she started to worry about this package, and she thought, wait, is there maybe a bomb in here? Or I don't, we don't know who this person is. The husband didn't recognize the man's name. She didn't recognize the man's name. And so she got really nervous. And what she ended up doing was she called the post office, who in turn called the bomb squad, who in turn sent out eight squad cars and the bomb squad to their house. They, they picked up the package. They brought it out to an island uh, on the Detroit River, and they remote de- detonated the package, just blowing it up and, and being done with it. Well, what they ended up happening at the end, all they found in this package were the leftover parts of a stereo system and a warranty for a brand new state-of-the-art stereo system that at the time was right around $500 for this stereo system. They don't know why or who this individual was who sent it to them, but because of their suspicion, they they lost out on something very good and, and beautiful. I think sometimes when we talk about God's gifts, we can either be suspicious and wonder, does God really give us good gifts? Or we look at God's character and we can honestly say, hey, wait, God does give us good gifts. God does care for us and I'm going to take his gifts. We don't have to wonder about who is giving them to us. God is graciously giving to us that which we need and that which he desires us to have. And so as we continue in Numbers 8, looking at the good gifts of God, we're going we're gonna to pick up about halfway down in the passage, but just to remind you where we're at, if you're just joining us for the first time or uh, if you've been with us all the way through, a quick context. Remember, the tabernacle at this point is now completely finished. And Aaron is blessing his people. He has blessed the people at the end of chapter 6. And when he blesses the people... Uh, there's going to be the miraculous lighting of the altar by God. And then after that, the people are going to respond all the way through Numbers chapter 7 with pouring out lavish gifts to God. They're going to bring these great offerings to him for the tabernacle and for the ministry of the tabernacle. Numbers 8 then picks up in that context. We talked last time about God highlighting his gifts of his physical and spiritual provisions that the menorah, the, the lampstand would light the table of showbread and it lit the, the altar showing the, the provisions of God physically and spiritually. And we, we highlighted that Moses faithfully conveyed God's word to Aaron and then Aaron fully obeyed God's word. But now the tabernacle needs to get going. They're ready for that. The priests have been consecrated. All of it is ready, but they still need the workers to do the ministry of the tabernacle. And we know that those workers were the Levites. We've already went through that in our study back in chapters 3 and 4 of the book. Now, the Levites were set apart to God, but they still needed to be cleansed 
They needed to be consecrated, dedicated to God. And that's what we have here in chapter 8, verses 5 through, uh, through 20, 22, right in there. We have them being consecrated to the service of the tabernacle and given to God as an offering. They needed to be cleansed physically. We know that. We talked about that they were, they were sprinkled, they were showered, they were shaved. Their clothes had to be washed for this day of consecration. And that they were going to be cleansed spiritually. There was going to be a burnt offering. There was a meal offering that highlighted the dedication and the gratitude back to God. There is going to be the sin offering, cleansing them from the sins that they have been committing, committed. Uh, so we know that there is this physical, but also more importantly, the spiritual cleansing, consecration, dedication for these individuals when they were going to serve in the ministry of the tabernacle. Now, there's this offering, this sacrifice that is happening on behalf of the Levites. It goes a little bit further. And as we pick up in the passage here in Numbers chapter 8, we're going to see that down in verse 11, it says, And Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord for an offering of the children of Israel, that they may execute the service of the Lord. The word here that's used for offering is this word tenupah. It has the idea of the King James, if you'll notice in verse 11, verse 13, verse 15, and then again in verse 21, you're going to see this phrase or the, the idea of the phrase, offer them for an offering. The Levites were going to be an offering to God on behalf of or from the children of Israel. Now, in other translations, you're going to see this term used. It's called, they were a wave offering to God from the children of Israel. And that's the word tenopah, or the wave offering, is used throughout Leviticus. It's used in the Old Testament. And when we see that word tenopah, it is that idea of they were a wave offering. So what does that mean? Because we, we see the wave offering and we wonder, okay, is everybody going to do the wave? Is everybody supposed to wave to God? What, what does that mean? So we need to understand a little bit uh, culturally and biblically what was the wave offering. The wave offering you will find in Leviticus chapter 7. And uh, in Leviticus chapter 7, there's an interesting part as they're going through what's called the peace offering. There's a portion down in uh, right around verse uh, 33. Uh, it says that, uh, verse 32, it says, the right shoulder you shall give to the priest for a heave offering. Right before that in 31, the priest shall burn the fat upon the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron's and his son's. So this wave offering, and then even part of it, the, what's called the heave offering as well later on, these offerings were given to the priests. It was a way that God had designed for the priests the priesthood, Aaron and his sons, to be supported, to have, they, they didn't earn money, they were receiving these gifts, portions of the gifts that were given to God was going to be their part in order to live, to eat, and to have. So a portion of the sacrifice that was going to be given was first presented to God, and then it was going to be released by God for use by the priests and for the priesthood. So this wave offering this portion of this uh, offering given was first given to God, and then God gives it back to the priests so that they had a way to be supported and that they had the ability to use whatever that offering was. The, the offering that was given, these gifts and offerings, they pre, um, the, the Lord gave the priests the right to eat and draw on the necessities for uh, their livelihood, for the support. So this was God saying, 
They're worth it. We're going to be giving it to them. This wasn't done in secret. It wasn't just, all right, here you go. Here's a little bit under the table. We want to give you a little extra support or we want to do this or that. This was open for all to see. God was very open in saying, this is for these people. He understood that concept that we see later on in the New Testament, that the servant was worthy of his hire. We see it in Luke 10. We see it in 1 Timothy chapter 5, where God is looking and saying, care for them. That was the responsibility. So as they brought these offerings, portions of the offering were given by God back to the priests to help support, support the priesthood. Now, the rituals is really interesting with the wave offering. What would happen is the portion of meat that was going to be used was going to be placed in the hand of the offerer. So if I was going to be offering a peace offering, a portion of this that was going to be the wave offering to the, to the priest, the priest would place it into my hand. And then when it was in my hand, the priest would take my hands and he would move them up and down, back and forth. And he would, he would do that. And what it did was it symbolized the consecration, the dedication that this was first to God. And then it was going to be given to the priest. And so they would wave this offering before the Lord. And so it was a transferring. It symbolized the transferring of something that was given to God. And now God is in a formal sense giving it back to the priests. Now think about that in relationship to what's happening with the Levites. The Levites were considered a wave offering to God. Now, obviously, you're not, Aaron's not going to lift up the entire Levite tribe, but symbolically, he is presenting, it, presenting the Levites. He's going to present them to God. And then what's going to happen? God is going to claim them. He's going to say, they are mine. Because as they are given to God, just like in the wave offering, what is given to God is God's. Notice what he says down in verses uh, 16, 17, 18. When we look at it, he's going to, God is going to accept the Levites as the substitution for the firstborn of all of Israel. We've covered that a number of times. But you see that, you see that verse 16, for they are wholly given unto me from among the children of Israel. So God says, the, Levi, the Levites, they are mine. Down in verse 17 again, for all the firstborn children of Israel are mine, so that was his claim after the Exodus. All the firstborn are mine, but he has accepted, verse 18, I have taken the Levites for all the firstborn of the children. So again, that substitutionary aspect that we covered numerous, last week and definitely last time, but we've covered a couple times. God is saying, I am taking them. I am claiming the Levites as mine. But then notice what he does in verse 19. He gives them, and I've given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to his sons from among the children of Israel. So take the picture of the wave offering. That's what they are called in this passage. The children of Israel and Aaron, they give the Levites to God. He claims them. They are his. They have been offered to him. And now God is looking and saying, I am giving them back to you. I'm giving them specifically to the priests, to Aaron and his sons. Why? To serve, to do the ministry of the tabernacle, both physically and spiritually. Notice verse 19. I'm giving them to the children to do the service of the children of Israel in the tabernacle of the congregation and to make an atonement for the children of Israel. So they're going to help with the sacrificial system. They're going to help the priests to be able to, to take care of the sacrifices. They're going to do the ministry of the tabernacle. 
and that there be no plague among the children of Israel when the children of Israel come nigh unto the sanctuary. That was their guard duty. They were to make sure spiritually that as people were coming, they were right. They had everything in order. There was a a protection about the tabernacle by the Levites. So God is going to take this offering of these people on behalf of the children of Israel and give them back to the priests and say they are yours to be ministering to the children of Israel, to the tabernacle, and to me. We see here that what what happens in this passage is God is giving gifts to provide for his program. He does not just look and say, okay, Moses, there's a tabernacle. Have fun with it. Figure it out. He lays it out and he says, I'm giving you these, these men to be able to serve, to be able to minister, to help the priest, to help Aaron and his sons do all of this work. So all of this chapter right now, from verses 5 all the way down to verse uh, 20, you're gonna, or 19, this is the instruction that God gave to Moses and Moses conveys to Aaron. And so now we come to verse 20 through 22, and it's actually going to be consecration day. It is the day that the Levites are going to be consecrated. Now he doesn't rehash everything, but look at very, in a quick synopsis, what Moses writes down here in verse 20, it says, And Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of Israel did to the Levites according unto all the Lord commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so did the children unto them. And the Levites were purified, and they, the Levites, washed their clothes. And Aaron offered them as a wave offering before the Lord, and Aaron made atonement for them to cleanse them. Everything that that God painstakingly lays out from 5 through verse 19, the children of Israel and Aaron and Moses, everybody does. They faithfully obeyed. Moses faithfully conveys the word of God. The people fully obeyed God's word. We see that theme going through the book of Numbers that as God commands, as it is clearly laid out by Moses, as we talked last time, a very beautiful symbol picture of a preacher who's faithfully teaching the word of God. And as the people are following the the word of God, what happens? We get to the part when everybody was doing their part that now it's time to, the, the tabernacle is ready to go. Notice in verse 22, it says, after that went the Levites in to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation before Aaron. There was an order to it. They took time, they waited, they, they took care of, they, they were holy first and then they served. They dealt with the sin. They didn't look and say, okay, we know we need to do this consecration sometime, but we really got to get this tabernacle thing underway. So let's just, let's just start all these sacrifices. And then maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll do the, do the consecration thing. We'll, 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 we got to do this first. Moses and Aaron and the children of Israel understood that they were going to follow what God had said first. So they consecrated the Levites. There was holiness. There was repentance. There was righteousness. Then it was followed by the service. So they went through that. And when everybody was doing their part, when everybody did what they were supposed to do, all the children of Israel, all of the priests, all of the Levites, Moses, Aaron, when they did their part, the ministry began, the ministry flourished. I think there's a really great parallel, really great pictures for us to remember. As everyone does their part in ministry, the ministry grows, the ministry is established, the ministry goes forward. 
So we have a responsibility, even like the children of Israel, doing our part, doing what God has called us to do. As we faithfully hear God's word proclaimed, not just looking and saying, I don't agree, with, but to look at God's word and say, I'm going to fully obey what God has called me to do. I'm going to be dedicated, consecrated to him. And so God gives these good gifts. He provides in the first part. He highlights the physical, the spiritual provision. He provides for his program. He gives gifts to help his program, his ministry go forward. And then as you, you turn the page or you turn to the next verse, down in verse, uh, verse 23, the Lord's going to speak to Moses again. Again, that little phrasing highlighting, here's a little bit of new information that I'm going to give to you. Another section to this area. He's going to say, this is that which belongs unto the Levites. He says, this is directly now about the Levites in their ministry. And he's going to talk about retirement of the Levites. Now remember, in this passage, verses 23 through 26, this is specified by the Lord. This is not Moses coming up with some arbitrary uh, dynamic. This is not just some man figuring out this is what I want to do. God has looked and said, I am going to say there is going to be a retirement date for these Levites. And God understands humanity's needs far greater than humanity understands their needs. And so God looked and said, there is going to be a time when the Levites are going to need to stop ministering. They're going to have to be done to retire. And we need to also remember too, in this, in this passage, remember this phrase that we talked about weeks ago, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. So when it's talking about the Levites in this passage, it's not talking about Aaron and his family. It's talking directly about those individuals who are from the other parts of the clan of tribe of Levi, not the Aaronic priesthood. So we're looking at the Levites who are doing the work, the heavy lifting of the, of the tabernacle, the moving of it, the, the assisting of the priests to whatever they would have to do. And so what happens is in this passage, we come across a problem, a, a potential issue when it comes to the ages of the Levites. And here's what I mean. Look, look in verse number 24. It says, or verse 25. It says, from the age of 50... They shall cease upon the waiting. Uh, Sorry, it is verse 24. I saw the 50 on verse 25. Go to verse 24. This is that belongs unto the Levites. From 25 years old and upward, they shall go in and wait on the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. So the age that is given here is 25. But if you remember back to Numbers chapter 4, the age that's given for the beginning of the Levites is 30. Now, we start looking at saying, well, which one is it? Is it 25 or is it 30? And how can we go in just four, four short chapters? Why does it get changed? Is there an error in the Bible? No, there's not an error in the Bible. Was it, a, was it something where a, a scribe maybe miscopied something? No, there's, there's some pretty logical explanations to this. And also, let's just, let's look at the whole. Now, let's remember this. If we go to First Chronicles, in fact, I'd like you to do that for a second. First Chronicles chapter 23. In First Chronicles chapter 23, we're going to have David talking about the Levites. And he's actually going to change the age of the Levites there to 20. David here is going to change the dynamic of the Levites. Now, obviously, under God's direction. Notice what it says 
in verse 24. It says, these were the sons of Levi after the house of the father, even the chiefs of their father. So David is going to then in verse 25, David says, the Lord God of Israel has given rest unto his people that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever. And also the Levites, they shall no more carry the tabernacle, nor any of the vessels of its service thereof. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above because their office was to wait on the sons of Aaron for the service of the house of the Lord and in the courts and in the chambers and the purifying of all the holy things and in the work of the house of God, both for the showbread, for the meat offering, for the leaven cakes. He goes on and he talks that they're going to do all these things. David is going to change. Why does he change their job? description. And obviously under the Lord's direction, because there's not going to be a tabernacle anymore. There's going to be, Solomon is going to build a temple. And so David changes the age. He changes. So this is not just a set and fast age. In fact, Ezra does the same thing. When they come back from the second, in the second temple period, and the second temple is constructed, Ezra is going to change the, the date down or the age and keep the age at 20 as well. Why? Because they needed it. There weren't a lot of Levites coming back at that time. So in order to keep the number, in order to keep everybody uh, able to function in the ministry of the temple, they changed the, the age down to 20. So we have different ages, different reasons. So which one is it? Why do we do this? You know, is it, David seemed to change it based on the need of the temple ministry. Ezra is going to do it based on needs. Now, what about the numbers situation? It's not an issue of need. There's thousands of, there's 22,000 of them. So what, why is there a change? These are going to be speculations. They're the ones, there's two main ones that commentators and rabbis as well comment on. They're not in scripture, but it's interesting to think about as we, as we try to wrestle through it. Remember this, that numbers chapter eight is pre-census. It's before chronologically, it's before Numbers chapter 1. So it is given at the age of 25 originally, and then maybe in Numbers 4, the reason that it's bumped up to 30 is because of a maturity issue. If you take the chronology of everything that's happening, there is something that happens in the priesthood between Numbers chapter 8, when the 25 is given, and Numbers chapter 4, when the 30 is given. What is given is you have two immature priests, Nadab and Abihu, living wickedly, and they choose to act in an immature way, bring strange fire, and we've covered that. But that happens, so could it possibly be that the number is increased because of maturity issues? Possibly. That's that's a good option. The other option that's laid out is because Numbers 25 is the original number chronologically. And then it gets changed to 30, or it highlights 30. Many, many commentators, scholars, and rabbis as well hold to the idea that the age from 25 to 30 was an apprenticeship time for the Levites, that when they hit 30, then they actively did the work. From 25 to 30, they were learning how to do the work. And they were being taught by older Levites, what to do. They were being shown, showed the ropes so that when it was their day to step onto the job, there was no on-the-job training at 30. You had already had five years of mentoring taking place so that they were prepared from 30 to 50 
to do the work of the ministry. What a beautiful picture of mentoring. Now, again, don't miss the forest for the trees. That's not the thrust of this passage as far as 25 or 30, 25, but we want to talk about it. What we do see is that mentoring and maturity play a very important part in the development of the Levites. We see that. And I think it's an important dynamic for us to be remembering about mentoring younger and younger learning from older and the generations working together rather than potentially drawing apart. So you have this mentoring and maturing that, that happens. Now, back to this, the, the text at hand. Let's remember that in the wilderness, when we're talking about the retirement of these Levites, that the wilderness and where they were living, it was not the same like we have it for us today. You know, they weren't going home at the end of the night, getting in their sleep number bed, being able to adjust it so their back feels just right and getting a good night's sleep. They're going home, they're living. Sure, there's still comforts, but it was a totally different time. Life expectancy wasn't what it is today. It was more difficult. It was more arduous. And so they're living in that time. It's a little bit different. And the Levites did do backbreaking work. I don't know if you've ever thought about the ministry and the working, not only carrying the beams and lugging things around as the tabernacle moves, but as they're helping the priests, as there is David talked about helping with the, the sacrifices, the burnt offerings, things like that. Have you ever thought about, okay, it's one thing if you take two turtle doves and you offer that as a sacrifice. But what happens when you have an altar that's three and a half, four feet tall and somebody offers an oxen and it's laying now dead on the ground and you've got to, how, how are Aaron and his two sons going to pick up that oxen and get it up onto the altar? That's, that's work. And so the Levites would help with some of that. The lifting, the grueling work of continually cleaning up after the sacrifices and ministering on that daily basis, helping. They did arduous, hard labor. And so God in his grace is going to look and he gifts them the idea, the concept of retirement from the work of the tabernacle. Now notice it, they talk about in this passage that it's going to be that they shall not minister, do the service or the work of the tabernacle, the heavy lifting, no more. That's the wording that he uses. And so when we look at this concept, eight, Numbers chapter 8, verse 50, I put it in the New American Standard there because it does a good job of just getting us the, the literal thought of the Hebrew. But at the age of 50, they shall retire from service in the work and not work anymore. They may, however, assist their brethren in the tent of meeting to keep an obligation, but they themselves shall not do the work. The obligation would be the assisting, the helping, but not doing the physical. They became advisors. They could not, they were not allowed during this time to do the heavy lifting anymore. And this is during that tabernacle period. Yeah, obviously changes later on, but we'll, we'll talk about, they were still allowed to help with the guard duty, but they were not allowed to do the heavy lifting. They were allowed an advisory position, but they were not to do the work that God has, God has laid out here. And this is given to them by God. Now, there's this phrase that I read one of the, one of the modern Jewish rabbis said, I really feel like that uh, 
retirement's just going to be preambulating without purpose. I'm just going to walk around with nothing to do. And the Jews themselves, they struggled with this concept of the retirement and even of the Levites. A number of the older writings talk about it, and so they wrestled through. But if you remember, and even notice in the First Chronicles and Ezra passages, there's no age of retirement given. But that makes some sense because some of the heavy lifting, not all of it, but most of the heavy lifting was done away with. So there's, there, it, does, it talks about the beginning age. It doesn't talk about the later retirement ages. In fact, in an article in uh, May 2018, Retirement in Ancient Times, the tabernacle era, the retirement was the age of 50 years old. Then they talk about in the temple area, era, some of the responsibilities of the Levites really changed, and they, a number of them became singers, musicians in that time. And their age of retirement was specifically tied to when they would lose their voice, when they could no longer continue to sing. That would be a time when they said, okay, it was time for retirement. The priests, it was a little bit more subjective. They would hold to the idea of when they began to tremble. When the trembling started to happen, that there would be a, that would be a retirement age for the priests. Or when a group of the peers uh, of their peers no, felt they could no longer carry out the function of that office, then the peers would look and say, we love you, but it is time to, to retire. So the age of 50 seems to be directly, though, related to this tabernacle period where, where many people hold to. And it, it makes a lot, of, a lot of sense when you look through the, the text. But what is clear about this? There's a lot of that's still like, okay, we put this together, and we piece this together. What is clear from this text is God is not going to use and abuse his servants. He understands that there's going to come a point for these Levites that physically it's time for them to be done because it's difficult. He knows their limitations. He knows their needs. He knows what not to ask them to do. He's not going to give them something that's unreasonable. He looks out for them. He's protecting them so that they don't dread. They don't hurt themselves while they're trying to do some of these, these ministries for the tabernacle, for the people, for God. It's a really a beautiful picture, I think, of the providential care of God for those who have reached a point when the duress and the demands of ministry become a divine cause for their labors to be over. Now again, different time period, different things that are happening. I don't like the age number of 50 because I used to think that was so far away, but it's six and a half years for me. And I'm like, I don't feel like in six and a half years I'm done with the the demands and the duress of ministry. That was tabernacle period. But it is, a, it is an interesting picture that God highlights that we need to be careful as individuals get older, as maybe even they have some difficulties doing some things. It might not be the best thing for me to have a, a, someone who's older in years trying to get up and down with two and three-year-olds. That, that may not happen anymore. Some may be able to still do it. And that's why it's not a, a direct time in the New Testament where it says, at this age, everybody's done. We all have different abilities and different uh, abilities with our bodies to be able to do things. But there is, there is this perspective here that there may come a time. What ends up happening with the Levites is not that they just get set aside and they're no longer good for anything. I think we have sometimes a faulty view of how we view people who are retired, and how some people may view retirement. One of my favorite football players was Mike Singletary. I loved growing up in Chicago watching him play for the Bears. 
He was intense. He was a fabulous, fabulous uh, player. He was a good Christian. And watching all of that with Mike Singletary, I really, really enjoyed watching him play. Mike Singletary then later on became a really good coach. When he could not play the game physically, you think about the physical demands that football players put themselves through. Constantly pushing their bodies, constantly being beaten and, and battered. There, there's, the, what's the age of, if you have a football player who's 35 years old, we're like, oh man, he's old and washed up. It's not because at the age of 35, he's, no good, he's not good for anything anymore. It's because at that point, his body, his ability for that specific task is not going to hold up much longer. So the, the age is looking directly to the relationship of the job. So Singletary then becomes a really great coach. And that's what happens with the Levites. The Levites are to become those advisors. They're to become the ones who are helping the next generation to do the ministry and to learn how to do it and to give those advisory perspectives. They can still continue to help their younger brethren. They can still continue to serve the Lord in other ways, in guard duty, in ministries, in other ways. They were just not allowed to do that heavy lifting. They were to simply, uh, we do not have the right to simply use someone up in the Lord's service. Moses didn't have the right. God's saying, Moses, you need to stop them at this age. You can't just use them until they burn out. And we have the same thing. We have to be careful that if there comes a point to graciously and wisely use our abilities, there may be a time when I have to look and say, I can't keep up with the teens anymore. It is time for me to transition in life. That happens. That, that's just part of the whole process. And so God highlights that he understands that. It makes sense to him. So God's good gifts. What is, what is God gifting? He, he looks and he does gift that retirement. But as we look through that whole passage, what are some of these really good gifts of God? We know that God continually provides physically and spiritually for us. That is a great gift of God. God gives, as we talked last time, the opportunity for fallen believers to become faithful. We saw that with Aaron we saw that how he was cleansed. That we see that God gives cleansing to the sinners. The Levites, though separated and sanctified to God, still needed cleansing from their sins. We see that God gives gifts to his institution. God provided for the tabernacle because that was his program at the time and he provided. You know, the same thing is true for us as believers today. Do you remember Ephesians chapter 4? In Ephesians chapter 4, God says that our pastor is a gift to us. That his ministry, he has been given to this local church. He is our gift. Why does, why does God give pastors to churches? To help enable the ministry to take place. To help enable the ministry so that you can do the ministry. It, it all works together as you read through Ephesians 4. He doesn't only gift, give the pastors as a gift to the church. He gives to us the uh, abilities to have gifts from the Spirit. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And as God gives the gifts of the Spirit, as the Holy Spirit gifts us, he says in verse 7, he says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Why are we gifted by God? 
We're not gifted by God so everybody can look and go, ooh, look at Art's talents and abilities. Look at Art's gifts of whatever they, they may be. We are given gifts by God for the profit of the body, for the ministry of the local church. Your gifts that God has given to you are to be used for his program, for his institution, the local church. We are to be using, we are to do our part so that as we minister to one another, as we minister as a body together with our pastor, that God's program will thrive. It will thrive in any situation. God will build his church. It does not matter who wins the election. God will build his church when his people are righteous with him, when his people are holy and consecrated, when his people are actively serving, when his people are ministering one to another, when we are using our gifts and talents and abilities for the glory of God in local church ministry, God will grow his church. We are to be using our gifts that God has so graciously given to us. God gives what is his to enable his purposes. He gave the Levites. Remember, we are bought with a price. We are God's. And he gives us two, he gives us abilities, he gives us gifts. He gives us to the church to minister here. God gives care to faithful ministers of the gospel. He cared for the, the Levites as they got older. We have to be giving care to one another, to faithful ministers, to be caring and protecting and guarding, being wise in the demands that we may place upon other individuals who may have been able to be faithful for many years, but maybe not so much now. And we, we look at that, and I think one of the, the challenging highlights, the challenging aspects to me on that is I need to be doing more if I can physically. And those of you who are younger, maybe you're in your 20s and you're like, well, I'm just doing college. I don't have time for... No, you are to be using your talents and gifts and abilities for local church ministry. We are to be using our, uh, our God-given gifts to minister. One of the reasons that sometimes some of the individuals who may be older and they're like, I really can't do this anymore, but I will do it because we don't have anybody else who's willing to do it. That's one of the hardest things about the intergenerational mentoring is that if no one younger is coming up, if no one wants to faithfully do it, then some feel like they can't, they can't step away when they need to. So we need to all be doing our part. We need to all be ministering one to another. So how do I respond to God's gifts? How we respond to authority changes so much. I mean, we see that now, and I'm not going to get on a political diatribe or anything, but how individuals respond to authority would change so many situations in America. If a police officer tells me to stop, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to stop because how I respond to authority makes all the difference. How do we respond to the authority of God? How do we respond to when God gives us gifts or God gives us commands or directives? How do we respond to that? We need to accept the forgiveness of God and his cleansing. It's the first part of this chapter. I accept what God has given. I accept his graciousness and his gift of forgiveness and the cleansing of my sins. I, like the Levites, present myself as a living sacrifice, consecrated, dedicated to God. I do what is expected of me. Look through this chapter sometime and look at the number of times the word did or they, they were doing what they were told comes up. It, it comes up frequently. They did what was expected. We as believers, 
We accept God's gracious gift of salvation. We are to consecrate, to dedicate our life to holiness and to living righteously for God. We are to do what he is expecting of us. We are to use the gifts that God has given to us for his service, for his program, for his ministry. And then we interact generationally. That's the last part, that we, we learn Those of us who are younger, let's learn from those who are older. Those who are older, let's teach those who are younger. And when the opportunity arises that I may be able to step out of the way to let somebody else do that part of the ministry who is younger and and able to now do it because they've been mentored, then great, I'll step out of the way and do that because that's that's a, a wonderful opportunity that I will have to see them doing the work of the ministry, equipping them to do that work. How do we respond to God's gifts? Do we accept them? Do we present ourselves? Do we do them? Do we use what God has given to us? Interact with one another to do the work of the ministry as a unified body going forward. I fear sometimes in my life, I act like this this young man. He he was uh, on a trip, a, a younger kid, child with his dad on a trip home from the mountains. And he's told his dad, dad, I'm hungry. And so his dad stopped over at the, you know, at McDonald's and he went in and he got him fries. And side note, by the way, if you ever want really good fries from McDonald's, ask for them well done because then they're crispy and they're salty and they're hot. But that's just a, a free, free side note from somebody who knows French fries. When they, the father brought the French fries out to his son, they sat down for a minute and the son started eating the French fries. And the dad did what any good and respectable father would do he reached over to take one of the fries. And the son looked at him and sort of smacked his hand and pushed him away, pushed the hand away and said, no, those are mine. And the dad said that he thought about this for a moment and he thought about it in relationship to the gifts that God gives to us. That God has given us so much. He's like, man, I could give you so many fries, you would be tired of eating fries. I could take all those fries back from you and you wouldn't have any fries. I can choose to do that, but I've given you those And yet the son would not give back to the father. And the individual who was writing it said, how many times have I done that with the gifts that God has lavishly poured out upon my life? That I've looked and I said, no, these are mine. And rather than selflessly using them for his ministry, for his program, for his people, he said, I would hold them back and be selfish with my gifts that were really the gifts that God has given to me. And as we think about this passage in Numbers 8, God gives a number of gifts to the children of Israel. They use them. But we have to remember too, don't forget, God has graciously given to you. He's given to me. And if he has graciously given me gifts, abilities, talents, finances, a house, a vehicle, whatever it may be, how do I use them for God? How do I use them for his glory? Or do I look and say, nope, they're mine. God has graciously given us gifts. Let's use those gifts and talents for his glory so that he may be exalted, so that we can magnify our maker by mimicking our master, by living like Jesus Christ, living holy and righteous in an acceptable way as a living sacrifice to him. God, I pray that you would help us to not be selfish 
for me, Lord. Help me to not take what you have graciously given to me and hoard it to myself, but help me help others to graciously use what you have given to us for your glory. Thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us.